Welcome to the Russian Rulers History Podcast, Episode 117, Vladimir Putin, An Unexpected Rise. Last time, we recounted the story of the end of the reign of Boris Yeltsin as the president of the newly democratic Russian state. The economy of Russia was in a state of depression, and Yeltsin's popularity was at an all-time low for a leader. A new, yet relatively unknown man was thrust into the position as the president of Russia, one Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin was born in Leningrad on October 7, 1952, to Vladimir Spiridonovich Putin and Maria Ivanovna Shalomova. He essentially was to become the first Russian or Soviet ruler in many years that did not grow up under the specter of Joseph Stalin or through the horrors of World War II. This may explain why he is so much different from the normal leader of the Soviet Union or Russia after Stalin's death. His early life was nothing special except that he was considered a rather rowdy young boy, that is, until he took up the sport of judo. Judo was to prove one of Putin's lifelong passions, as he is seen in a number of public pictures practicing. One thing I have noticed while researching into the life of Vladimir Vladimirovich is that he likes to show himself off as a very, I might just say, masculine, uh, virile, and macho kind of guy, something he believes that Russia should do as a nation. Now, even though he was born after Stalin, he was still a firm believer in the communist way so much so that he wanted to be a KGB agent from a very early age. Putin was supposedly enamored with actors like Vyacheslav Tikhonov and Grigory Zhuzhonov, both of whom played intelligence officers in the movies. At the age of 17, he went to the Leningrad KGB offices and asked, what should he do to join up with the intelligence agency? I was told to go to the university and major in law, which he did. While attending Leningrad State University, one of his teachers was Anatoly Sobchak, who was to play a key role in his rise up the ranks in the post-Soviet days. When Putin was 22, he was offered a job in the KGB, but did not officially join them until the following year. In 1976, he was assigned to a foreign unit called the first directorate, after he had already served in the second directorate, which specialized in counterintelligence. Now, the first directorate of the KGB was used to spy on foreigners, including recruiting nationals outside of Russia, to help the spy network. And his first post in 1985 was in the East German city of Dresden. Now, before that, in 1983, he married former airline stewardess Ludmila Shekrebneva. Putin's career in the KGB has been called dull, but he was considered a very efficient man, one who could get the job done, but with little flair or panache. All the while he served, the USSR was gradually falling apart. So when his former professor Sobchak, who by now was the mayor of the newly renamed St. Petersburg, called on Putin to join him, the future Russian leader quit the KGB and returned to St. Petersburg. Now, Putin's day of resignation was an important one, as it was in the midst of the attempted coup against Mikhail Gorbachev on August 20, 1991. 
As he puts it, quote, As soon as the coup began, I immediately decided which side I was on. The decision was difficult, as he was a man of the system, but he felt that the Soviet system, with all its warts and corruption, was doomed. Yeltsin was now in power, and the job of rebuilding Russia into a democratic, free society was underway. Unfortunately, this was a time of incredible corruption with the growth of the oligarchs, men of extreme wealth who stopped at nothing to grab as much of the resources of Russia as they could lay their hands on. Criminal activity was at an all-time high, and the Yeltsin government was either unable or unwilling to do anything to stop it. Because of the instability in Russia, Yeltsin's popularity continued to plummet. Now, do remember that term, the instability in Russia, because this was very important in what Putin did as the president. Now, with all the corruption and greed that was besetting Russia with the fall of communism and the Soviet Union, Putin was considered a straight shooter, an honest and decent man who went upon his work in an efficient and effective way, making many friends. This work ethic was to carry him to the top in very short order. In July of 1996, Anatoly Sobchak lost his bid to be re-elected as mayor of St. Petersburg. Putin was forced to leave his position as an aide to the mayor, but unbeknownst to him, he had already been spotted by one Anatoly Shubayas, who recommended Putin for a pres presidential position in the staff. Paul Borodin, the man who ran the staff, took note of the up-and-coming man and helped him along the way as well. For anyone who has watched Putin in action, he comes off as a bland and, you might say, boring man. Few in the Kremlin could have imagined in 1996 how far Vladimir would rise over the next few years. But rise he did. People noticed the efficiency with which he pursued his job. What also set him apart and made him such a trusted person was his complete lack of interest, or so it seemed, in any higher political office for himself. People surrounding President Yeltsin felt comfortable with Putin, basically unthreatened by his presence. In 1997, Putin became the deputy chief of staff and was appointed to a number of important committees. It was obvious that Yeltsin was watching the young man, and in May 1998, he was named first deputy chief of staff. A few months later, Putin was made the head of the Federal Security Service, once known as, in the Soviet times as the KGB. He was to remain in the position as head of the FSS until August 16, 1999, when, in a surprise move, Boris Yeltsin made him prime minister and announced to the world that Vladimir Putin would be his successor. 137 days later, on December 31, 1999, Boris Yeltsin resigned as president of Russia and handed the reins over to Putin. Few gave the man a chance to win in the upcoming election, as Yeltsin was deeply unpopular and Putin was considered his man. But Vladimir was already considered a law and order man, and someone who was very pro-Russia, but he had a number of opponents. Two were Moscow Mayor Yuri Lushkov and former chairman of the Russian government Yevgeny Primakov. 
Both were enemies of Yeltsin and were bound and determined not to allow one of his pupils to gain control of the government. The first decree Putin signed as acting president was, quote, on guarantees for former president of the Russian Federation and members of his family. Basically, he said that no one could go after Yeltsin on corruption charges, and he later extended this decree to include anyone, including himself, from future prosecution. By this time, Putin had joined the newly formed Unity Party, which was the second most popular party in the Duma elections of 1999, with 23% of the vote. Because Yeltsin had resigned when he did, the election for the next term was moved up from June of 2000 to March 26th. Putin won the election with a surprising 53% of the vote and was inaugurated to his first four-year term on May 7, 2000. He immediately went to work. While Yeltsin was known for tearing down the old Soviet order and ousting the communists from power, he was basically inept at addressing the growing concerns surrounding his country. He was undisciplined and unable to create structures capable of fixing the problems facing Russia. Putin was the opposite, very organized and believing in the need to completely restructure the government, albeit slowly and methodically. He was also very blunt and honest with the Russian people, as shown by his January 1st, 2000 speech, where he told the people about how bad things were in the country. This was not the way of the Russian rulers since the time of Peter the Great. Many of the czars were telling everyone that all was okay and that God was with the people and all would be better. The communist leaders foretold of the start of a new dawn someday, a Marxist-Leninist utopia that was just around the corner. Putin said otherwise. But not only that, he had a plan. First off, it was to create a vertical governmental system where the governors of the various oblasts were made to answer directly to Moscow or else. He fought against the Federation Council, the upper house of the Duma, and shifted power back to his office. Putin then set up a system of seven super districts that were to be run by personal appointees. But lest you think that Vladimir had done all of this in a bold and flashy way, think again. He wanted to do things carefully and behind the scenes, as a direct opposite to Yeltsin's bold and brash style, a style that the Russian people had grown weary of. Putin appointed a close friend, Sergei Ivanov, to become the defense minister. Many thought that Ivanov would institute dramatic reforms to the military, because it really desperately needed it at the time. They were worried about where the missiles were. The men weren't getting paid on time. It was a real mess. But that was not Putin's style. He knew that in order to change the system, he needed to do things slowly so he could get a complete buy-in from the people below. And it was truly a brilliant strategy and helped pull Russia out of the economic and social morass it had fallen into. So how did Putin get his country moving in the right direction? He appealed to the people's patriotism for a renewed place for Russia in the world stage. After the years of begging the rest of the world for money, the people felt like their country was a third world nation. There was no pride. Putin would have none of that. He believed that Russia, and this is important, 
was a European power and that its better days were ahead. And note how I emphasized European power. This was an important part of Putin's overall strategy. He did not want to be seen as an Asiatic country or a backwards country. He wanted to be seen as a European country, something that first came about, if you remember the old podcasts, under Peter the Great and really carried forward by Catherine. So very important thing that uh, Putin did here. Now, Putin's party, the United Russia Party, is a merger between the Unity Party and the mayor of Moscow's fatherland, All Russia Party. And they would appeal to the people's patriotism. But he did this without any specific plans, or nothing that he told the people about. Now, some called his party's message to be, quote, non-messages. Very upbeat and patriotic, but really vague. They called for the idea of Russia, united and strong, and to move forward together with the president. Putin called for a decent life for everyone, complete with honesty, happiness, and stability. That last attribute, remember what I said before? That was an important one to the people, as they felt that the worst part of the past eight years was the instability caused by the breakup of the Soviet Union. His appeal went over the vast majority of the people in Russia, but not everyone. Now, the oligarchs who were stealing the people blind were a major blockade in Putin's plan to restore Russia to its former glory. He knew he couldn't get rid of them all because they just wielded too much power, but he made a deal with some of the wealthy men, like Gennady Timchenko, Vladimir Yakunin, Yuri Kovalchuk, and Sergei Chezimov. Together, they would bring stability to the country, but under a more managed democracy. Putin made it clear early on, if you followed his edicts and towed the line, you could have all the freedoms you wanted. Cross his line, and there would be hell to pay. It didn't matter how wealthy and powerful you were. Oppose the president, and you would be dealt with accordingly. A case in point was the arrest of Mikhail Khodorkovsky, the head of the Yukos oil company, and at the time, one of the richest men in the world. He was helping to fund some anti-Putin groups like the Union of Right Forces. In 2003, he was arrested for corruption and jailed where he remains to this day. I think his sentence is set to uh, expire in 2017, so he still has quite a number of years left. And there is some debate like Amnesty International, about whether this man is a political uh, prisoner uh, or whether this was, you know, trumped-up charges or, you know, whatever they were. It's hard to decide at this time, you know, what's the truth and what isn't. Now, Russia under Putin had regained much of its past luster, but there's one problem with the economy and its dependence on the high price of oil. Without that, the boom times would come to an abrupt halt. Despite his controlling criticism of his administration, the majority of Russians really approve of his presidency. Now, where Putin's legacy will be needs years of time to judge, so I'm going to end it here. And it's, it's also where I will end the podcast and the series of the Russian rulers. After three thoroughly enjoyable years, it is time to put this part of my life to rest. But do not fret, it is not the end of my retelling Russian history. From here, I'm going to take about a month or two off, but when I return, 
we will be changing of the name of the podcast to Russian History Retold. Because of the incredible feedback I've gotten from you, my listeners, at the website or at the Russian Rulers History Facebook page, I have a load of topics to cover, hopefully for at least the next three years. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please join us at Facebook at the Russian Rulers Facebook page or go over to the blog site at www.russianrulershistory.com where you can make a donation to the podcast to keep it going or you can just make a comment, ask a question, or leave a suggestion. So, for the last time, I'll be signing off by saying Das Vidanya is pasiba bolshoya.